Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to TF. Uh, I've been handed a bulletin. Fresh off the presses. Yep. This is now. This is a very recent bulletin. It's from four hours ago. Uh, Cressida Dick, the uh, beleaguered officer in charge of the Metropolitan Police in London, uh, has said, uh, "I will not be forced out as Met Chief." However, oh, well, case closed, uh, the man. the comic timing division of our uh, <laughs> news organization, our Stringer, our Stringer, who's wearing uh, clown makeup and tumbling towards me, has handed me <laughs> another bulletin and honked his nose seven minutes ago. Sorry, this is an updated bulletin. Met Police Chief Cressida Dick to step down. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. I gotta change my fucking Twitter name now. Yeah. Uh, you are now Cressida Girl Dick looking for work. That's right. I mean, that's genuinely like huge news because she knew where the bodies were buried for like years and years and years and years. She's like consummate insider. Uh, like to the point where when she like stepped away from the Met for a couple of years to go uh, to like a director level position at MI6. Everybody in like uh, UK media just kind of collectively closed their eyes and pretended not to notice. Uh, so now we've now we've had a little like palace coup. Uh, that's that's very very interesting news. And look, like every British palace coup, where someone a in charge of like a coup. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> a police uh, coup, of course. Thank you. Uh, I see you're waggling your eyebrows theatrically. Absolutely, I have a spinning um, bow tie on. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, you're spinning uh, but, like the police bow tie thing. Yeah, it's a little spinning siren bow tie. But no, every time one of these like deeply corrupt, flawed, um, sort of irreparable UK institutions just like throws its leader to the wolves. Like every single time that happens, just remember this is the institution sacrificing the Yellow King to ensure that it keeps getting a harvest next year. I mean, this is the thing, right? Cressida Dick has, like, uh, thrown so many people to the wolves over the course of her career. Not even as, a, like, a personal judgment, that's how you become Commissioner of the Met Police and stay Commissioner of the Met Police. Uh, but now she herself has been, like, uh, become sort of an ablative heat shield for the institution, which is very funny. That's right. So And it's so it's so fucked that like this was the thing, right? Like Wayne Cousins, not the thing. The fucking policing of the vigil for Sarah Everard, not the thing. Uh any of the like Charing Cross leaked WhatsApps, not the thing. No. Uh it's this sort of last bit of intrigue on behalf of who? On behalf of fucking Boris Johnson that does for her. It's so fucking ignominious. It's, it's and the it's, scene it, in, she, she deserves it. You know, it's, I'm it's very the glad. scene in Casino. It's like, you you went to bat for fucking that guy? Do me a favor. No, like this prick. No, that's not that's not what it is. What it is is fucking layer cake getting shot in the last minute of the fucking movie because of disrespecting a guy you half remember who's like a gigantic fucking moron. Cressida Dick has been ousted because of the Duke from layer cake <laughs> all right all right i want to i want to introduce the episode it's uh alice riley and hussein and we are us. joined by uh tf uh, returning champion and the host of rail natter it's gareth dennis gareth how's it going i'm, I'm very well thank you yeah i am um, i realized uh, listening to the show last time as i do um i left a lot of open brackets of like ca kind of interrupting myself over and over again so i've come back to close those brackets in a true adhd way 
Hmm. Absolutely. Finishing uh, but, all of your details. Yeah. <laughs> but look, before we get to uh, a little bit of rail natter of our own, because my goodness, are we talking about trains today? Uh, there's a little <laughs> more news. This comes not from our news desk. The first of which, of course, is once again, history has proven us right twice in as many weeks. Trash future, undefeated, vindicated by history every time, the immortal science of podcasting. Because what did we say? What did we say about Captain is this, is, Sir Tom? Oh, I thought this was about uh, the bin men and the switchblades, but yeah, sure, we're right about that too. <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah, we were right about so many things. You know, <laughs> How can we hold all of these dubs that we've been accruing? <laughs> uh, so, this is, this is from an interview with Captain Tom's family. Uh, that was recently published. Shout so, out to his family. That's right. We're shouting out his family. <laughs> what was the best year of your financial life? The interviewer asks. Uh, it was 2020. They say surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a like, we didn't burn him answer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, my husband and I sat outside worried about our financial future. The entire pipeline for our business uh, over the next 18 months had been wiped clean overnight. It was then that my father... Uh, who had been re- rehabilitating after breaking his hip, started to walk again. We had to cancel his 100th birthday party from COVID, so my husband suggested that instead of a party, my father should walk around the garden 100 times and we'd give him a pound a lap. Oh my <laughs> goodness me. Just fully, like, listen, fuck off down the garden for a bit and I'll give you a, a shiny pound coin. Yeah, that's a lot to you, right? Oh my god. I, yeah, because, well, number one, he remembers when, like, when you could buy a house with a pound. Um, so, you know, uh, back in the good old days. But I think it's also just, like, this really good um, indicator of, like, how much British people, like, have genuine contempt for, like, old people. Yeah, right? you, you're trying um, to watch fucking, like, Game of Thrones and Granddad yeah. won't shut the fuck up about Burma or the Ardennes or right. whatever. So, yeah, and you kind of resent that, like, he's, he's sort of there all the time. So you're like... Why don't you just go outside for a bit? Yeah, why don't and like, you just you know, fuck off? And I'll give you this shiny pound. Remember <laughs> how much you could buy? Remember how much you could buy with this one pound when you were like when you were like uh, uh, ten years old? You could go. Uh, like I, I don't fucking know like how many sixpences it is, but you know. I mean, you could buy a big like racism chocolate bar at that yeah, point. I was going to say, yeah, you could buy a hundred penny sweets for yeah, a pound back in the old yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really and, and, yeah, and and you'd have enough change for a gollywog too. Yeah, Absolutely, right. you could buy a gollywog Freddo. You could do any number of things. Now you can't even buy a gollywog Freddo no. because of the because of the, because of the woke left well, and their insistence. <laughs> That's, so so basically, yeah, they they did the trailer park boys thing where they were like, "I'll give you a hundred dollars to fuck off." Yeah, but for <laughs> one pound. Yeah. Okay, well, they were like Captain Tom bears the door, and he and he went through that door. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and so, basically, and then of course they started the Captain Tom uh, GoFundMe, which raised like millions of pounds, which went to the NHS. And then they also set up uh, a, a charity to carry on their confused father's legacy after they put him outside. After they of- after they put him outside, and then a grateful nation murdered him with. By giving him the novel coronavirus. (laughs) They basically, like, he was more or less killed by British Airways. (laughs) Uh, Was flying him to the Caribbean uh, during a pandemic where he got the novel coronavirus and then died. And now, like, now it's all, now, like, there's some kind of, like, literally, there is a kind of blasphemy law against speaking ill of him. Yeah, which we uh, have like, all violated, and therefore we'll have to report immediately to prison. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a blasphemy law against speaking ill of him. A guy literally like got convicted of <laughs> of of speaking ill of him. Yeah, he's like um, overtaken the poppy. I don't know. Yeah. He's like it's like Captain Tom, and then below that is the poppy. I didn't. It was very easy to overtake the poppy because the poppy doesn't do any laps of its garden at all. It just sits there. Yeah, uh, it it just sits in in Flanders fields. Uh, yeah. no, it's it's also. I mean, it's quite amusing that it's overtaken the poppy. Just like a, a confused old man, just like going to raise money for an institution that's been put into managed decline, so his kids can start a charity that they then have their own company's bill for hundreds of thousands it's, of pounds. It's so so British that like the chain of dominoes starts with telling your like father-in-law to fuck off down the garden for a bit ends in having to like look at a fucking drone swarm light version force ghost of him <laughs> oh my god it i mean just the entire so basically right uh so C tom moore's daughter and her husband colin by the way who are like property developers right i thought they she was like a pr these... consultant i thought well, that was wherefore they were one's able a to property get developer One's okay. a PR consultant, and then they had these companies called Club Nook Limited and Matrix Group Limited, uh, and they both build the Captain Tom Foundation like, like n well north of like a hundred a hundred thousand pounds on fundraising consultancy fees. Yeah, oh, didn't golly. didn't the, didn't this foundation give out something like some insultingly low percentage, like well, no, so, forty grand out of like a huge amount of what, income? What it was is there was thirty two million, which was like a GoFundMe. They didn't touch that. They set up mm -hmm. the foundation that's gotten like some millions, uh, and then so far they've given out one hundred and sixty k, and they've they've spent on like various like i don't know what you might call a related party transaction right like billing the the charity with their own now again like that's pretty common in uk charities which is less an indictment of them and more an indictment of the uk charity sector yeah, in general future episode the uk yeah. charity sector absolutely yeah so like during a 12-month period a total of more than fifty-four thousand pounds was paid to two companies controlled by captain tom moore's daughter uh, sir captain tom moore's daughter rather hannah ingram moore and her husband colin club nook limited and matrix group limited and like the thing you can't even fault them right like that's no, like the only no, industry I'm not, left I'm not, in britain now I, I, i'm not mad at them for hustling right because like they're just doing what they've been what they've been trained to do and what society rewards them for doing what i'm mad at them for is the pr like goosing it like every time you stop thinking about captain and Tom, one of these fuckers pops up in the pages of one newspaper or another and goes, actually, my dad, who British Airways killed, would want us to, like, not have pronouns or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we've we've decided to, yeah, like, put our, our the rest of our, like, working air force on an aircraft carrier to go sink in the Black Sea in honor of Captain Tom. Yeah, yeah, my, my, my dead dad, who was in World War II, and who I told to, like, fuck off down the garden for a bit, was very concerned late in his life. He told me, in fact, about the threat of, like, Russian sonic weapons. Um, and therefore, we must immediately give uh, all of the possible military aid to Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I think the whole thing, right? It's just it's such a perfectly British event because yeah, it just yeah. the whole because the whole thing was enabled by the extraordinary mawkishness of our media class, right? That, but when you actually look at the events that unfolded, it's sort of. It, it's somewhere between farcical and deeply upsetting. Yeah, farcical, upsetting, deeply authoritarian to make it like illegal to like be rude about this guy, or even by this point to ask, 
Hey, wait a second, why did this hundred-year-old war hero have to do fucking laps of his garden to fund the NHS, a thing that should have been taking care of him, you know, gratis? Like, Just let him sit in his chair and watch Last of the Summer Wine. Like, surely yeah. that was what he wanted to do for his last years. Well, we have no idea what he wanted to do, because, like, the, every every single relative he's ever had in his life now has their hand firmly up his embalmed Kazi, just fucking <laughs> using him like a mouth puppet. <laughs> okay. Speaking of speaking of things that are uh, extraordinarily, extraordinarily funny and also very upsetting, uh, there sort of have been some developments in the last thing we were right about, which oh. is... D sorry, do you want the gamer horns again? Yes, please. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> which is that, guess what? Um, that Keir Starmer going on TV and all of his like representatives going on TV and saying, uh, the Prime Minister is a scallywag for suggesting that I, uh, you know, was too soft than Jimmy Savile. Wait, Milo's not here, is he? I, I, I welcome Jimmy Savile. <laughs> we Wait, have the non-union Keir Starmer impression. <laughs> we've, we've gotten Milo's non-union equivalent to come in and do the Keir Starmer impression. Gareth, that's going to be you for the rest of this segment. Oh, damn. So basically, right, what happened is they keep he keeps going on TV, right, and all of his representatives yeah, saying, keep going on TV. Jimmy Savile, Jimmy Savile, <laughs> Jimmy, Savile Jimmy Savile, Jimmy Savile, Keir Starmer, Jimmy Savile, Jimmy Savile. Yeah. And if, the thing about Britain is uh, we as a country are... Uh, probably have one of the highest rates of undiagnosed prion diseases in the world. And as such, we are a nation of people who half listen to the news. <laughs> so this has worked out for him about as well as you would expect. So what's happened, right, is what happens... And I've sort of noticed this. At any time there is like a split in the Tories, it works like a ratchet, right? Hmm. Where And it's a right word ratchet. Where a split will happen... Right, and there will be Tories that who say, "Ah, this far and no further." I was fine with everything that we did up until now, yeah, but yeah, this yeah. Savile thing is a bridge too far. But then that's the red meat that, like, the most active part of the like conspiratorial Bircher insane, you know, right loves. Right, and then the other part of the party will appeal to that group, and guess where the fucking energy is in right wing politics? It's not the people who are being favorably compared to John fucking Major for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's the frothy yeah. people. The frothy people have all the power. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think the ratchet's a good analogy, right? Right, because like, okay, we can talk about the people, the Tories who like have either an attack of conscience or of political convenience, and who go, oh well, actually, I, I, I don't like this latest manifestation of what we're doing, and I don't think we should do it. Right? D to say that they're hypocrites is like table stakes, as we've yep. been over. Right? Yep. What's more interesting to me is the sort of structural thing of like. This is analogous to setting up a big ratchet strap around like a tree or something, and putting like a little tiny poster on it that says, "Don't fucking crank this ratchet. Whatever you do, do not crank it. Or I'll be very I unhappy." The ratchet, with you. but I would encourage yeah, yeah, it to yeah. go further. <laughs> we all, yeah, we were. We, I mean, as you mentioned, we were right about this, but it also just kind of everyone who was sort of covering conspiracies and like looking seriously at like not just like QAnon, but also just like the way in which conspiratorial material travels through like the internet and stuff. Like it was always going to be at this point. In fact, like, it, you know, the whole kind of like Pete, like the pedo scandal is very much like ingrained into every British um, conspiracy movement anyway. Right. Like we saw that yeah. quite a lot when, you know, you think about 
uh like the tree you know, not the trojan horse stuff the uh the kind of like stuff that happened in like rochdale and rother and grooming gang stuff right which was like in the 2010s um you know it was kind of like the thing that not only like were politicians like using to um win elections like i remember it like in places where there weren't like big muslim communities and like you have these like you have these uh, prospective labor and conservative uh candidates who are using grooming gangs as a way of like shoring up their kind of you know shoring up their voting base like it was this type of this type of stuff has been around in british politics for a very very long time and it's amusing but it's also incredibly depressing but also incredibly predictable that the line is drawn when like um when when Keir Starmer and you know the res- and respectable kind of like elected politicians are like involved right yeah. um but it also sort of represents to me and you know people kind of got mad at me when when i would when i tried to say it but like again i'm I, yeah they they were mad at me online but crucially i am right and that and that when it <laughs> Sorry, manifests do you, do you like, want the game of horns well, what I was going to say is hold the game of horns for when I, when it's proven because I really want to like enjoy it. So okay, it's like okay. full thing. Just just um, let me know when you want those game of horns. It's so yeah, thank you. It, it it that type of stuff like that type of like the pedophilia scandal and every like in you know scandals is it going is like is it is an inevitable endpoint for this country, especially like right now. Mm-hmm. I think like at a time when um you know. The whole kind of, you know, because this type of energy was being harnessed by like Brexit people in yeah, the past, yeah, yeah. but now that like now that that sort of like dissipated, the energy is still there, but it's kind of like manifesting in these, or it's kind of like Weird moving ways. in these really unpredictable yeah, yeah, yeah. ways, right? And this is why I'm also kind of thinking about like you know the, when when the whole like Brexit drama was happening, there were lots of people on the right and like on the left as well, but mostly on the right who were like. Um, you know the the era of like right and left wing politics is like over and like now <laughs> you know you know pe- people be like you know you you know the whole thing that you hear on like unheard like yeah 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 like stuff, which is kind like, of a third way if you will yeah and it's kind of like well what do you and but there were no questions as to okay well uh, if if right and left don't exist and I and I and I have like some sympathy over that or I I, I agree to an extent with that position it's like well what happens next right like mm. what 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 happens and like no one seemed to really have an answer for it so now we end up in this place where like we see Keir Starmer and we see like and this and it won't just be Keir Starmer involved in this we will see like establishment politicians like have to kind of answer on TV or on radio or like on podcasts or whatever like you know they will have to like address these conspiracies very very directly right yeah, and like this if, is the and if thing, they kind of, right and if they dismiss hmm. it as a conspiracy theory sorry like I'll just end no, that um I was just going to say that if they dismiss it as a conspiracy theory like they will kind of then be accused of like ignoring working people's concerns and everything yeah well like i the, I, I would say the one lesson from like uh any kind of this like failure of left and right or like brexit or whatever is that you can't w- once you once you've made these people once you've activated these people you can't put them back in their box this isn't going away. This is like the 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 new trend in well, politics. No, yeah. There's always going to be that now. This like irreducible, like hardcore of absolute fucking psychos. Right, and in America, you sort of see like candidates or like Republican candidates who like have the full support of the party because I think the party's like very aware that like there is no way that these guys can be yeah. stopped. So it'd be yeah. much better to absorb them than to sort of like let them go and wild. Yeah. And like you can see that happening in the UK as well. Like in like a very short period of time. And it's so so dangerous too. Like I genuinely think the risk of like political violence on a, in in a serious way is is like higher than it's ever been and it's only going to trend upwards. Like I think there's going to be a time in this country 
And I don't say this like, um, you know, in, in anything like a, a positive sort of way, just in case that was in doubt, that like we look back on, you know, labor canvases getting beaten up as something like quite quaint. Uh, because, yeah, I, I think we've really sort of opened Pandora's box. Yeah, here. absolutely. And yeah, it's something that you, all of you have, have pointed out in like successive episodes. You come back to the point where it's like, oh, but OK, for example, I am nothing if not a dumb Twitter guy. And who do I see posting? I see David Aronovich tweeting saying, well, we've never seen anything like this, this level of conspiratorialism. It's very dangerous. Like, wait, I don't I didn't see that coming from like. When, when another leading uh, politician, in fact, a leader of the opposition, was pulled into <laughs> right-wing conspiratorial things, I, I didn't see the same level of outrage. And then also hmm. some other stuff like, well, we ever, you know, the level of violence, this is new. We've inherited it from America. It's like, uh, Joe Cox was murdered, like, yeah. not that many years ago. We seem to, like, so much has just been... Uh, what, Alice, what do you say? We're the, the left are cursed to remember. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, and I mean... I- you mentioned Joe Cox, and that reminds me of like possibly the bleakest thing I can think of, which is like the the worst thing I can imagine. And I want to be very careful with the lathe here because I don't want to suggest this as an outcome. I don't think it's a likely outcome, but I think it is possibly the bleakest one, which is uh, you know Keir Starmer gets elected prime minister off of the back of Boris being unserious or whatever. And as he's talking about how to, like, forensically forensic things, a fucking Combat 18 Baz murders him, and he becomes a sort of secular martyr. Yeah. And, th- and that'll, if that happens, or if something like that happens, and I mean, that that's like an obvious bet that, like, some kind of heinous political violence will happen at some point in the future, right? It, there will be, like, a bipartisan, like, cross-political spectrum responsibility for it. And it's not, it's, it's as you say, there's not rationalism behind it. You, as you say, they can't be put in the box. The people who are really like, like angry, angry, like red, like purple face angry about Corbyn, they don't think that those are the people, they don't, they see Keir in the same, they see Starmer in exactly the same way, right? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit to you to be, to be moderate at all. Like these are the same people who think that Biden is a communist. They think that Keir Starmer is a communist. Uh, it, it, it like, it, by that point, you may as well be a fucking communist. Yeah, well, the way I sort of, I always sort of, uh, see it, and I sort of noticing our time is taking along. Right, the way I tend to see it, right, is that there is there has there has been this right wing movement that sees uh, anything that sort of is required for social reproduction, right? Things just manage the man- the day to day management of things, right, mm. as fundamentally uh, 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 alien as uh, as as mo- moving the world away from the utopia that they want. And so this manifests in stuff like anti-vax. This manifests in yeah, stuff like it's, yeah. it all- it's 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 like I guess it hits differently, right? When you've gotten everything you've ever wanted all your life, and then you get one thing that like you you know you can't get what you want. Like you have to wear a mask in the cinema or whatever, and you you put enough media around that telling you that you're being oppressed for that, and like people really do believe it, and you create this sort of like insurgent population of people who think ah. I am the most oppressed person in human history, and as such, I should go out and I should fucking, like, you know, shoot my senator, or whatever. And so to bring it, right, I think, right back round to the events of the last several days, right, hmm. it, there are a lot of people, you know, there, it's like, um, there are a lot of people who were sort of fine with this, who encouraged it, who built their mm-hmm. political careers on it, who were fine to engage in its tactics, who are now essentially finding out, oh no, 
this thing, this these chickens are coming home to roost. This thing I built, I can't control. This thing that was politically convenient at the time. Yeah. And- <sighs> Kind of. I think I disagree in the sense of like, this would be like a bit, they might like know it deep down, but like, it's way too introspective for like a lot of these kind of columnists to really like admit or at least confront it. Some of them believe like absolutely sincerely, where did these guys come from? Yeah. They they all believe that. I think, I think more likely, yeah. Or more likely they're kind of like, um, you know, this is what, this is like a legacy of like the Corbyn years and like all the people kind of calling me like bald in a gammon online, like this is kind of like the end result. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, and, and again, it's, it's, it's more proof that like for a lot of like the people who kind of pretend to support Keir Starmer, cause I'm not kind of convinced that like most people actively like support him. Um, for them, it's very much just like kind of continuing 2019 and, and crucially like justifying why the decision that they made to like vote Tory or like to not vote Labour in 2019 was not only like a good decision, but like a morally correct one. Mm. Do, do not own me because I voted Lib Dem. Yeah, exactly. So much col- columns are now dedicated to people like self-justifying that their opposition to Corbyn and bringing Boris in was like, oh, it's fine because, you know, <clears throat> look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, and because and this- do do not remember anything that I said or did. And like I, I feel like this is like an episode in itself, right? This kind of like the, the the psychos, right? The like the various uh, freaks and morons who who populate this kind of like reactionary insurgent movement. I think that's that's something to talk about, like on its own, and really dig into because they fascinate me in a terrifying way. So look, I I think that's let's 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 leave that there for now. I mm. think right, like just just this is what I, what's with the word right that this thing that could have just that could have been made to go away. Right, this one thing, right? This, uh, or at least it could have been minimized. Everyone has decided to deal with it in the way that feeds it most, and no one wants to take responsibility. No columnist, no one who engaged in sort of similar kinds of convenient smears, no one, no one who has been sort of happily enabling the uh, right-facing ratchet uh, Tory insanity machine that's been going basically since like Bircherism came over here. Right. Hmm. No one wants to acknowledge their role in that or the fact that the only way to avoid that is to do the kind of thing that they've spent the last five years essentially trying to stop. So, uh, like we said last time we talked about this, uh, sucks to suck. Bye bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, I want to talk about Enter Dow. It's a it's a, not a startup. It's a Web3 organization. So Peter Dow's cover of Enter Sandman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's, so it's a DAO. Um, it's called Enter DAO and it makes three products. Oh wow, that's that's three that's three more than most of our startups usually do. Well, yeah. I think it's about the same number. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. So I'm gonna actually send you the first product. I'm gonna send it to all of you on Twitter, okay. uh, and uh, all of you listening as well. Check your DMs. I've sent yeah, that to it, you. It, Riley is sliding into your DMs with yeah. this. It is called uh, Sharded Minds, or as I Sh- call it, Sh- Sharded Minds. Sharded Minds. Okay. Sharted. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah. Okay. Gareth, what are we seeing here? Do you want to take a yeah, crack at I'll, describing I'll, I'll, this? I'll go into describing uh, podcast describing mode. What I'm seeing here is fucking mental. No, I'm seeing um, <laughs> I'm seeing like weird splodgy. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing, no, I'm, I'm seeing galaxy brain. There's a galaxy brain ghost in the shell type character looking right at me, and there's a button above it that's pink, and it says my NFTs, which <laughs> doesn't that does not bode well. And behind all that is weird psychedelic like GIF action. That seems to be pulled out of a website from like 1999. Quite Scroll something. down a little bit, please. Oh, here we go to the image beside the word story. The, 
Oh, there we go. The the galaxy brain has turned into uh um waka 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 is kind of shall I shall I read you the story section? Please. Oh, it gets but, even but worse. Just, just before you read this, Alice, the, the, hmm. the image this is next to is a, <laughs> the same woman, but wearing 3D glasses with face <laughs> tattoos and a necklace that says GM, and there's a Pac-Man cool. coming out of the uh, <laughs> interstellar fun, black hole in her head. Yeah. Alice, go uh-huh. ahead and read the story for me. <laughs> so, under story. The failure of legacy institutions, systems, and media has led to the emergence of the Web3 metaverse. A parallel digital reality built around technology, decentralization, public goods- It doesn't exist yet! It doesn't exist! I'm still Milo at this point. Why is it here? It doesn't exist yet! Why do people keep saying it exists? And most importantly, (laughs) vibes. (laughs) <laughs> Leaning on the foundations of decentralized finance, digital art, and gaming, the Web3 Metaverse is a magical space full of adventure and yield. But the Web3 <laughs> Metaverse is also a fragile space, protected by GM from the constant threats of the non-GM sayers on the verge of oblivion. Wait, what's GM again? I've, it I've just stands the... for good morning. Oh, good morning. Cool. <laughs> a magical cool. space, yet a space still unaccessible to many. The legend has it that only a sharded mind can enter the metaverse. That's right. So this mind is shard, of, enter the metaverse. This is one of their three their three projects, which is a number of NFTs that are just like pictures of women that like look like they were from a sort of like a sexy computer magazine in the eighties. They look like how Grimes thinks she looks. Yes. Oh yeah, there we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that's probably the best. And again, oh, they're yeah, like they're, they're scrolling along the bottom. There's yeah, a Jordan are, Forge one. There's the there's the the, the blue one. Avatar one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. there yeah. they are. No, so they are they're essentially right. This is organization makes these these NFTs which cost like 0.09 Ethereum. They're not that expensive by like NFT standards. Uh, and it's just like they say only a sh- only only with a sharded mind can you enter the metaverse, which I agree. But they have two sort of more uh, substantive projects. One is called one is called Landworks. Uh, uh-huh. And the other is called Portal, which is very funny because Facebook also tried to build something called Portal, but it was just a tablet that spies on you, which feels almost <laughs> quaint at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that, oh, that's like a season one TF starter. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it helps your boss spy on you. How novel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah crazy. Damn. Never, never seen that before. <laughs> if what does it do? Oh, it sells your personal data? Pfft. That's a man-made horror that's so within my comprehension. <laughs> so, Landworks... What do we think Landworks does? Uh, once again, Gareth, what do you think? What do I think? So does Landworks uh, do that thing where you can buy a piece of land and become a lord for some reason, but an NFT? Oh. No, no, no. You can't buy it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vibes. 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 I've just been distracted by the fact that I've just realized the galaxy brain, like weird galaxy swoop on the head of all these NFTs looks a little bit like a cat's anus, but blue. Ah. Well, that's it's it's because you shard out of it. You shard out of your mind. You shard out of it. Yeah. Uh, Hussein, you can't buy land through Landworks, but what can you do? You sit on it, but you can't take it with you. Can you rent the land? land Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But like. But, like, instead of one person renting a plot of land, you have a group of people who rent the plot of land, and whoever has the most value or, like, who has kind of, like, who has bought the most NFTs in the DAO or whatever gets to decide what uh, is kind of put on that patch oh, You of can land. be, like, an ape yeah. plantador. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the thing is, again, like, that's kind of what it does do, actually. Which oh, is, it lets, it lets you be... It the man lets from Del Monte landlord. with his fucking apes. It's like it's like 
So this isn't like, real land. This is metaverse land that isn't yeah. real. Yes. This oh, is okay. So it's not metaverse. even real land. It's, oh. So it's, di- it's digital land that yeah. you can. So if someone wants, so so if someone's like, we should build like a nice digital house on this piece of land, but like the person who has the more eight pictures is like, no, we should build a giant penis uh, skyscraper. Then you're building a giant penis skyscraper. Is this like? Is it like the equivalent, the, the metaverse equivalent of like uh, Minecraft multiplayer mods that stop you from like uh, trolling other people? Is that is that what it is? Uh, somewhat, but effectively, generally, like this is in something like Decentraland. Right, which is like a game. And so you can rent land in the game using cryptocurrency you buy with real money. And I then Landworks has put, it, has put itself in as a kind of um, middleman, just like what any, any of the agent. other. It's an estate agent. Yes. <laughs> Cyber Foxtons. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking flying car with the estate agent ad on the side <laughs> shows up. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Ah, oh, sorry. It's just your your you your you have your metaverse land very, has very, like a very bug. very spacious <laughs> views out, out of the cyber dome. No, oh, your, your metaverse land uh, has has a bug, and every time you walk on it, your computer turns off and like, sorry, can't fix it. <laughs> uh, so the other project is called Project Meta Portal, uh, and they say. Uh, what they're doing is they're helping further advance this immersive gaming movement. Immersive, of course, meaning you have a normal job with a wage that is paid by someone else <laughs> in a game for some reason uh, that we are currently seeing it play out within the wider crypto ecosystem. Uh, so they the examples are Axie Infinity, which we've talked about, or, or, or Nifty Island, which we've talked about. Uh, but they say, we have a quite a large number of games available and ready to play, but we need to navigate to a completely different interface each and every time we wish to play one. Yeah, this is give us the last three That's numbers on the back of your credit card to help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they say, this is, this is unsustainable. The idea that there are different games that you can play at a given time, as opposed to being able to like bring your buster sword from one game into another one and into a meeting. Again, this impossible, Wait, stupid thing that absolutely won't work. This is meta working from home versus meta commuting. Okay, I, yeah. I, I, we're, we're in realms I can live within again. Okay, right, yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm there. Just kind of frantically clawing your way back to like, how is this like a train? <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm trying, I'm trying. So, that is how my brain works, to be fair. So basically, they're saying, look, we need to we need to create a single point of access for the blockchain gaming ecosystem so that you can like buy NFTs of stuff and carry them between games, or like you can buy all the NFTs for all your games on one platform. Let, again, let me just ask a question here. Yeah. Um, why? <laughs> <laughs> because that's where the world is going, Alice. Uh, but, uh, okay. So the previous one was a so the previous one was a metaverse estate agent. This one is a metaverse IKEA big blue bag. Yeah, correct. Yes. Oh great. <laughs> yeah, it's where the world. Well, yeah, it's where the world's going. Don't like it. There's the portal. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. No it notes. That we're gonna That's we're it. gonna we're gonna end the DAO segment on that one. We do a lot more like Web three projects now. I'm 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 yeah there because were a lot of the where the world is going. Yeah. So much stupid energy. Right. Look. I want to talk. I want to change gears. I want to talk about something that's happening uh, not in the metaverse, but here in the verse. Um, and Gareth, you've been wondering why have we brought you on to you know chatter on about the news and Captain Tom and the metaverse and everything, and not asked you about trains. Where are my trains? We're so many minutes in, and you haven't mentioned trains other than just now in that sentence, and I'm very upset. Yeah. That's right. So look, uh, this is. I want to talk today a little bit about uh, TFL. And TFL's relationship with the government and what that says about like 
the wider relationships with the regions, and also, I think, building a little bit on what we talked about in our last free episode with Philbert and Cartledge about how the Tory ideology, and in many respects, the new labor ideology, just coming at it from a different angle, is all about the crushing of everything that's not central government control. Yeah, I, I feel like our episode with Phil is going to be like one of those really important ones where you're like, if you haven't listened to it, go back and do that, because we're going to be talking about stuff we talked about in a lot from now on. Absolutely. So- uh, I'm just going to sort of say to give the scene setting opportunity to Gareth, which is that TFL having lost money in the uh, lost an enormous amount of money in the pandemic and being the only public transport system, the only major public transport system in the world that is required to be fully self-financing um, is going to be put into or is likely to be put into a state of, quote, managed decline. So, Gareth, can you take it away and just give us some context of how we got here, what that entails, all, all the good stuff? Yeah, for sure. Before I start, I want to say hello, listeners. Um, as a Scottish guy living in the north, it's kind of worth pointing out that this might look like a London story, but it is very much a UK thing. Like, uh, not because of like stupid, like ethereal UK economy reasons, but because it says, uh, kind of as Riley intimates, it says a huge amount about what this government thinks about anywhere where there's devolved power, whether that's organizations or, or kind of regions or cities or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's worth London, kind of the, that. London, the largest devolved government by population in the UK. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and given that lots of other places are aspiring towards that, and, and we, you know, we've seen, you know, we see off the back of the integrated rail plan, we saw what happened with, um, you know, Transport for the North getting its power stripped, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Anyway, so what the hell is happening? So you have Transport for London, which is a large kind of, uh, devolved uh, subnational transport body that is in charge of uh, the majority of transport stuff, kind of mostly within the M25, right? The big organization, uh, largely, uh, it's the main thing that Sadiq Khan can, could do, actually pre-pandemic, it's the main thing he could do. <clears throat> but um, there was this thing called uh, the coronavirus pandemic that happened, and um, it oh, made no. everything go a bit weird. And so we had to pay for systems to continue, public services to continue to basically function and exist. That infrastructure doesn't just, you can't just switch it off and leave it in, in stasis. You have to maintain it. You have to pay the staff that are still there, so, you know, all these things. And so... Obviously, it was ramping up a lot of money while people weren't traveling around because there was a massive pandemic going on, everyone. Um, but for some reason, uh, and exactly the same reason that government is doing the same thing to the national railways, um, government saw this as a perfect opportunity to asset strip um, what was basically like our only really well-functioning urban transit system, just TFL, you know, buses. Uh, they're not perfect, but actually buses within the, uh, kind of the TFL region are pretty good. You know, you've got the only proper well-established, sorry, Glasgow, the only proper well-established underground <laughs> system in uh, in London. And then you have all the other trains and stuff that TFL is in charge of. But um, contrary to the fact these are useful public services, the government decides to just uh, strip them back and create this kind of really contrived or rather hammer down on this really contrived situation where it holds London to ransom over funding a public service that is to the betterment of the whole country. Like, really very strange situation. It's also worth saying that we're not talking about like tens or twenties of billions here. We're talking about just single digit billions of pounds, which is just not that much money in the grand scheme of things. If you look back at that's, that's how much one been PPE contract yeah, for exactly. one of Matt Hancock's friends. Yeah, 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 for sure. So 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 this is this is entirely about uh, ideology um, mm. And um, yeah, uh, good grief! It's, it's just yeah. So that's the situation. That, that essentially, TFL and Sadiq Khan, because people don't like him in government at the moment, uh, TFL and London is being held to ransom by Westminster. Mm. The Treasury here adopting the guise of the Riddler. <laughs> yeah, 
Riddle me this, Sadiq. How can you run a sustainable public transport system with no money? <laughs> well, that's more or less kind of what they've asked him. Yeah. Because this is the the fifth, the fourth or fifth, I think, of several short-term bailouts that have come with increasingly onerous strings attached as the as the Treasury att- essentially attempts to take over and micromanage TFL. It's things like it's things like uh, strip back uh, pension provisions. It's things like strip back all the kind of don't pay your your drivers anymore. Don't pay you know all the, all the staff that oh, fun know. union smashing yeah, stuff too. Yeah, union smashy stuff. Um, and and I suppose and, and, and Raleigh, maybe maybe you want to get into this a bit later on. But it also includes my my favourite of these, which I've, I've actually written about, is the idea that um, as part of this funding settlement, um, TFL needs to start rolling out driverless tubes like there's no tomorrow. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so we'll maybe get to that in a bit. But that's that's yeah. one of the kind of the key sort of underlying requirements put in by um, by uh, not your special boy, but Rail Natter's special boy, which is Grant Shapps. Mm-hmm. That's right. The so driverless he, he, train can't fucking join Aslef or, or the <laughs> RMT. Uh, oh no, we we put the class consciousness module in it. Ah oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck. Um, we put the sh- we put the brain of a shop steward from the 1970s into this driverless train, and now. It's <laughs> going on strike every day we've up we we have uploaded arthur scargill's brain into, <laughs> into a driverless train you wouldn't have thought it but he was a really good train driver they didn't push the night tube button they pressed the open all hours button yeah we, we went <laughs> so so uh the other thing that they're doing right is, is this is as i understand it this isn't just stuff like trains that's getting affected it's also things like roads bridges Absolutely. cycling infrastructure I'm, I'm just i'm just still on the train thing i really need to see a tube train in like a 1970s shop coat <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Our, our more creative fans uh please go ahead and do that do oh, that. please gareth continue Absolutely, do that. Um, yeah, no. So, 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 for example, you've got um, you know London is leading the charge on um, taking our streets back to being about people and not about two ton metal boxes. And so, there's there's quite a lot of initiatives to, for example, um, build out decent cycle infrastructure. You know, where it's not just a, a, a lightly painted baz line on the side of the road with dashes in it, where you still get run over the same, but you apparently it was your fault because you weren't in the little gutter. Um, they're actually building proper infrastructure and also stuff like. Uh, um, uh, sort of street uh, I can't remember the name the pro- there's a program called like streets it's about streets and about driving streets for pu- the public it's not just about cycling but actually about having um, more uh, street space isn't it we're having more um, like uh, businesses kind of being able to be out on the street and okay there are some challenges with disability about that but generally I still see it as a broadly a positive thing to kind of push cars back to the periphery again and not design our entire urban space for for cars so, so there's mm. lots of that the trouble with that is it does require some funding and also even though weirdly it complies precisely with government some of government's own kind of big ticket items that you know the, the, the Andrew Gilligan as, as kind of transport advisory um uh, doomster has been actually pushing the only thing that he is good, right about is about cycling and about pedestrians and it's like his policy nonetheless that doesn't that's not going to stop Westminster from stripping that away as well as part of the settlement because if you strip away for for, a, for an organization like TFL if you're stripping away marginal funding that tips them quite dramatically where, where if when everything's being run to the extent where you're not talking about big sums, it's quite, quite, um, uh, you know, the tipping point of something being breaking even. You can pay everyone, you can pay for the, you know, the advertising, you can pay for the all the things that make that service run. The tipping point isn't much. It doesn't take much of a nudge to push that into not being able to pay for itself. And with a year and a huge city, that those numbers do climb quite quickly. So government 
is able to cover that very easily. Of course, this comes back to the fact that London isn't able to borrow its own cash. It has to rely on government to borrow the cash, you know, as part, you know, via the Bank of England. Um, if we had better devolution like they do in mainland Europe, we might be able to allow the regions to borrow their own cash. But obviously, that would take power away from Treasury, and that's never going to happen. So, so yeah, so this resulting in not just the trains being a problem, but also buses, which frankly, a lot more people lower down the, the 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 income deciles rely on. And also all the infrastructure for cycling and walking is going to get hit by this. So is, so isn't yeah. this roads too? Like bridges and stuff. Yeah, highways. Yeah, like, like bridges. Are, are, is it aren't the Tories basically saying Welcome to Well There's Your Problem, a <laughs> podcast about disasters with yeah, science. We want the like how, like roads and bridges of like Quebec and Italy on <laughs> purpose. <laughs> There are stories that it always reminds me of a thing about like, I have to remember that we're now in this moment. There are stories about people in, in North Queensbury, right, which is a, a fine little village um, on the other side of the Firth of Forth from kind of where Edinburgh is, underneath the Forth Bridge, this magnificent, my favorite structure in the world, this magnificent steel structure. And there are stories of like someone's car got destroyed by a piece, like a ton and a half piece of rust that fell off the Forth Bridge in like the <laughs> mid 90s. And that was like, for me, that like defines a decade, two decades decades of massive decline in in Britain. We're in that now. Everything is falling to bits. This is not a good time to pull away transport funding. And and I was having discussions today about exactly the same thing happened for Network Rail. The 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 the, the infrastructure manager for the railways kind of across the rest of uh, England, Wales and Scotland. You know, like it's the same thing. It's like this isn't the, we, we've had managed to climb for a long time. This isn't the time to then turn off the taps for that funding altogether because um, bridges it's are going to collapse. The growth, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because- it's actually a leftist project. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was you were also saying that like so things are getting worse, but they're also getting more expensive. Huh? That's 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 interesting. Yeah. Funnily enough, if you uh, if you if you de-skill an industry, say, so I, I'm pulling it away from TFL. Sorry, TFL. But more broadly, when it comes to engineers, um, and this is very much. Uh, uh, well, as your problem podcast territory, uh, hmm. friend of the, the show, uh, the extended universe. And if you de- if you're reducing funding and generally de-skilling an industry that involves lots of skilled people like engineers, um, like uh, you know, train even drivers, operators, all the skilled people that work out how to plan trains. It's not just about the engineering. I have no idea how you plan trains. It's really complicated, and I've seen the graphs. It's crazy. Uh, those people are skilled. If you wind down an industry, then those people go away. They leave. Yeah, they become yeah they become code they become coders they go instead, and, and they make apps. Yeah, they go and projects. develop NFTs. They yeah. go and learn to do digital, um, and <laughs> and and they're gone, and they don't come back because they're like, I'm not putting myself through that again. You know, I'm not doing that again. I I, I want an industry where I, I want to work somewhere where I'm not likely to be sacked imminently, and I'm not like doing loads of overtime and having to take sick leave for stress. So they go and do something else, and that means that your ability to do the original thing, the public service, diminishes, and so you have to pay loads more people overtime. You have to pay loads of more, like, more, more like vampires like me who work for major consultancies. You know, <laughs> we that that's expensive. It's not good. So everything gets perpetually more expensive. But then Treasury gets to go. Oh, it's very expensive. We have to reduce how much we fund this. And and so I, what we have right is this current impasse is basically about whether TFL collapses because it no longer meets its legal obligation to balance its books. When again, like if uh, it is sort of, it is this thing that enormous amounts of people depend on that again is one of the things that like people like about living here. (laughs) It, it, It reminds me a lot of like something we talk about, about the Tories a lot is they're sort of like, 
foot shooting aspect to public uh, to public service cuts. Where like we've talked about this before in relation to like stuff like the police or the army, where it's like no, you need those to keep yourself like in power and to do the big foreign policy stuff that you want to do. But you're cutting them anyway. Well, in the same thing, like. London, for better and for worse, mostly for worse, is the economy of the UK. Like everything else is just sort of miscellaneous section. Yeah, because they've not invested um, in transport anywhere else, of course. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, another, exactly, that's exactly. But like London being a place where a lot of people work and a lot of people live and a lot of the economic activity of the country happens, uh, d- d- like defunding that because uh, the people there mostly like vote Labour and have blue hair and pronouns, and you don't like them being able to get a tube is like. Very, very funny. I was going to say, funny is exactly what it is. It's like, have you you, have, you haven't thought about this plan? You, 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 they've not thought it through in any way I think, whatsoever. I think, I think they have. I think it's just that the animating force is spite. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, the, the other animating force, of course, I think is this idea that these things, these, these things that make life good and bearable, that are sort of emerged in this wave of consolidation and institutionalization that started in the, 19, the like, mid-19th century and carried on through the 20th century, culminating in things like TFL being stitched together from multiple different private railway operators, the NHS being created and having dental care. Like these, this wave of institutionalization, this modern project, um, hmm. has been thrown into reverse be- precisely because... The neoliberal world doesn't need big edifice institutions. It's just that those big edifice institutions are some of the things that make life bearable under these conditions. They enable you to get around, to stay healthy. They enable you to have your consumption patterns smoothed, all these things. And so I would hate to have my consumption yeah. patterns smoothed. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is this there I think the the way to understand it is like the whole state has kind of been in managed decline. It's just going faster in, in certain areas. And sometimes, right, the, and these processes are frequently hidden. They're hidden behind... Yeah, it, used to, it, it used to be called a hollowing out of the state in political science for this very reason. Well, it's, it's that these processes are hidden until they're not, right? And in Liverpool, it was very obvious very quickly because, again, I think spite drove them to want to crush this place that, especially the Tories, to crush this place that had seen fit to resist them. And in whereas in other places, it's slightly slower. Maybe new labor puts in a requirement that the transport system has to be self-funding. Maybe they really, really believe that by doing that, they're going to cause them to innovate. And of course, by innovate, they really meant union bust and put in driverless trains. And then for so- some fucking how, TFL manages to clear the Augie and stables. It manages to do the impossible task and be self-funding with tubes, cross-subsidizing buses, with like like ultra-low emission zones and so it on really and so like on. really is like a miracle of like uh yeah. fucking actually, public funding it's incredibly impressive yeah it, it, yeah and then but then when being when confronted with again a once in a generation or probably not once anymore generation catastrophe they say well we were running you like a business and when a business fails a little bit it fails forever which means <laughs> i don't know unless what it's we a gonna, business yeah unless yeah. it's actually a business in which case they'll prop it up no problem yeah and then, and then the question, right, is okay. Well, what the fuck comes after this? Are we going to go back to like the northern, like Northern and Cambridgeshire Rail Company running the fucking Northern Line? Oh, uh, we're bringing back the fucking Metropolitan Underground Railway, railway, ah, railway lozenges. What if you had the Northern Line, but the trains came once every hour and a half? Huh? What if you had the Bakerloo yeah, Line with the trains that are still from the ah? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like one question that I have, and this is a very kind of selfish question, because you know I live in one of the areas that is getting crossrail. 
Um, and I guess there are still questions as it's, it's like supposed to be both nearing completion and its opening date. But there are like some stations that are like begging for like TFL money um, because they're like not quite at completion. There's also like talk about like lots of the testing being done very fast because they're trying to like meet like an impossible deadline, bearing in mind that like so much money was hemorrhaged before. But also the fact that the project may like never be completed outside of like the London zones. Um, and I sort of wondered whether you had like any kind of insight into that as someone who like, yeah, I, I, has sort of been in and out on that discourse for a bit. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked on bits of the project. Um, in fact, the, some of the outer London bits of the project, the bits that I worked on, it's um, yeah. I, I mean, that have to, everyone has to remember that was a central, that was a TFL, that was like a London and central government project. So it's like it's funny that London is like, oh, the going's getting tough, and now L- somehow London rather than Westminster. This gets confusing geographically. Um, TFL and the mayor have to pay for the problems rather than it continuing to be a collective challenge. You know, a lot of the reasons for um, for the overruns are um, actually there to do with the trains being procured, from, uh, but also there to do with uh, skills problems, shortages in skills because we don't do capital projects enough in the country. We do we we do very small. So occasionally we do a big hit, but we just generally don't invest in skills in this country. And when I say invest in skills, I mean invest in infrastructure that makes people skilled. When you invest in skills without doing the infrastructure bit, uh, no one does that. You, 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 that's, that's not a way to build a workforce. So yeah, a lot of the cost overruns are as a result of some of these longer term problems of not investing. And, 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 and yeah, and, and there are risks with the funding across rail having an impact, cascading an impact through the rest of TFL's finances. Absolutely. I would just find it very funny that they would open the open the, like Crossrail and then like a year later be like, um, oh yeah, this high speed rail service uh, is now going to run uh, like trains like every half an hour because, yeah, we, don't it, have, yeah. because we don't have the stuff. In, the instead of instead of Crossrail, you get a high speed bus replacement. That's right. Yeah, basically that. That's Richard yeah. Wellings. He wants that. Oh, let's let's not talk about <laughs> the Institute of Economic Affairs. Let's move on quick. I was setting up for a speed joke, but now that I know that this is a real thing, I'm I'm not touching it. Yeah. So I, I want to sort of I want to sort of wind us back to something we were talking about earlier, right? Which is that TFL has been set this impossible task, and I think this goes back as well to like central government taking these popular institutions, setting them impossible tasks, and then when they re- meet their goals, sending them a f- more impossible task, or like NHS waiting list, for example, right? Yeah, because it's a test you're not supposed to pass. It's why every winter is the NHS's worst winter ever. Yeah. So let's, and we know where that sort of led with the NHS, which is like the close, not just the closing of like A and E and different and local hospitals, sort of over the course of many years. That's now culminated in like emergency rooms don't have to it take you unless in you're your in network. Death. Uh, hold yeah. on, hold on. Um, so let's let's talk about like what does what does TFL kind of have ahead of it if you live here. Right. Or if you even come here occasionally for work, like most people, a lot of people fucking have to. Well, the, the challenge is that a lot of the cost cutting they're asking for um, is very difficult to achieve without fit, like this. This, As I, I talked about kind of the, the, the flip that you go from like viable to like not viable. When it, in order to actually make savings, it's not a case of like running train, like maybe one fewer train an hour or something. That doesn't make much difference because all this, all the fixed costs are still there. And actually, you still have to pay the staff. So actually, that doesn't make much difference. So there's a risk that the changes that these some of these funding pressures will result in are going to be massive and severely impactful on on the city. And and frankly, it won't be the, the well-off people. It won't even be necessarily us who will be suffering the most from it. It's going to be the people who rely on buses at the fringes of the and kind of all the kind of the, the pretty deprived areas of London trying to make their way across to work because they don't have a car because car ownership in London is thankfully quite low. So it's going to be those people who are going to be hit really hard. And it, it worries me a lot. And and a lot of it is in is is in the direction of really. St- <laughs> 
it's it's a lot of it is really stupid ideology. So if you put aside the treasury ideology, you know, the, let's go back to the driverless thing, shall we? If if mm-hmm. if, yes. if that's where I was leading. Yeah. So driverless trains. Oh my goodness. So to, to talk about this, I'm gonna within the next ten minutes. No, not that. Three minutes. Uh, try mm-hmm. and explain uh, grades of operation because it is kind of relevant. Um, so so if you like, you've got these uh, driverless tr- trains kind of fall into different categories of grades of operation. So like grade of operation one is where you have the driver who makes the train go and stop and opens the doors. Uh, grade of operation two is where the driver is kind of not doing so much of the go and stop and is just basically operating the doors. Um, then go- grade of operation three is where the driver kind of doesn't need to be involved, but kind of looks at the doors being opened and doesn't have to sit in the front. Grade of operation four is where the thing is totally on its own. You don't need anyone in the vehicle at all it can run yeah. on its own now mecha arthur scargill yeah exactly so um the thing with that is that in order to lots of the benefits that you get from op- like automatic running you get quite low down in that scale basically once the driver's not doing the stop and the go stuff that can you can allow quite a lot of good sort of uh thanks to clever signaling you can squeeze a lot of trains together and actually that the difference going from like the driver making the stop go happen to the driver just controlling the doors that's basically where you get all the benefits that's where you get all the capacity benefits of, of some level of useful automation right and above that it becomes vanity by and large so in order to get to this high high levels of like the grade of operation three and four where the driver is not controlling even opening the doors you start needing major infrastructure investment on things like uh, platform edge doors. So so you see those in the, in the new bits of the Jubilee line where there's like the screen doors. All of Crossrail have that in the central section. Um, that's actually a good thing. I think we should be investing in that. It's a good thing, but it's not going to gain you capacity. It's just a massive extra cost. So it's not going to gain, and indeed TFL did loads of analysis on this because this is not a new thing. Um, the Department for Transport and Grant Shapps and his predecessors have been asking TFL to do this for ages. Um, and so TFL have done loads of analysis and indeed, um, I can quote uh, TFL where they said that they basically came up with the fact that um, their their kind of line on the back of their analysis was um, that none of the grade of operation for conversions would cover their costs over the stated asset life. Um, overall, network wide grade of operation for conversion represents poor value for money. Its implementation will present a considerable affordability challenge, which will further exacerbate TFL's current financial and longer term funding position. Yeah, but on the other hand. It's future, yeah. and yeah. It, if it's if it's the future, then that means that it's good, right? Well, also, the other dimension here, presumably, is well, this won't solve the uh, we won't we won't solve that problem with efficiency, but we will solve that problem by, say, for example, drastically weakening the collective bargaining power uh, of workers, and, and and it solves the problem of Grant Shapps not being able to get photographed with stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a lot of this is a bit in a way, and I, I kind of said it tritely, uh, kind of uh, trivially, but actually, Shaps is the it's sort of the real matter special boy because he actually is like lots of this sort of stupid tech stuff in the way that Matt, special Matt Hancock comes up with. He's all about this for the railways in a way that is based in evidence in no way whatsoever. Like he has no real understanding of railways, and, and I'm not saying that ministers should have an understanding of railways, but he like is in the dangerous position where he really thinks he does understand railways. It's almost like the second kind of Tory, which is there's the Tory that is that is put into power and wants power but hates governing, and then the Tory that's put into power and is incredibly deliriously excited about scammy horse shit. Yeah, he gets to play with a train set. Yeah, there's two toddlers. There's the toddler sitting there dro- uh, kind of drooling and chewing their own foot. Uh, Matt Hancock. And then there's the toddler sat there punching that other one. And Grant Shapps is the one punching. 
And that for me is like, that kind of defines the, the sort of um, nasty, but basically incompetent uh, men who are screwing up our country. And, and, and the point is, right, and we go back to like, let's think about like loan conditionality, right? Because like, if you can't directly take control of something yet, like, for example, say you are uh, Germany and you need to like punish Greece for, you know, having a state or whatever, right? Uh, then you can do that through loan conditionality, which is what we're doing here. And I think that we have seen the ideology, and it is, again, comes back to something we've said before as well, which is we all we can do is the impossible, which you mm. must do. We know what will work, which you can't do. And so we are all, go- because of this intellectual lacuna, this thing that cannot be spoken in public, that cannot be understood, that certainly cannot filter to the way that we run the country... Because of all of these, all of these things, these these things that we imagine are unchangeable, then you have to continue. You have to do magic in order to continue this process of social reproduction that we've become quite used to, because it's no longer useful for capital. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I can and to widen it back out from from London back to the the rest of um rest of the UK again, or at least or at least the the, the kind of the contiguous Britain bit, uh, England, Wales, Scotland. And um, this is exactly what Grant Shapps has done with the integrated rail plan that he that he pumped out after we recorded the last episode, right? Um, like. Again, it is a load of nonsense fakery in it, a load of stuff that's just not achievable, but the whole of the rail industry is being held to ransom with it. Like, oh, we're gonna hold you to ransom with this and, and we're giving and you should you should be glad for what you're being given. And and, and a good example is where um, a, a devolved body that ha- that theoretically has the power to do a lot of good stuff and, and is ostensibly a good thing, they spoke out about it and said, this is actually not good. This is going to cause us a lot of problems. This isn't going to achieve what you said it is. And also, it's missing a load of analysis. In fact, there's no analysis. What, what, have you, can you provide any evidence to justify this stuff? And um, central government stripped transport of the North uh, of its powers. Transport for the North was stripped of its of a substantial amount of its powers for speaking out. To encourage out. the others. And indeed, the other one, Midlands Connect, another uh, subnational transport body, they did the other thing, which is where they didn't say anything bad about this integrated rail plan, which comes out to the same consequence, which is that if they now, they can't say anything bad in the future because they'll also get their funding stripped. So it's the same uh, consequent result. And, and it's, it's loan conditionality is exactly as you say. And the idea of this public service being used as a bargaining chip in the bigger ideological plan is is painful because it just as with all these things that every episode you go through shows it just hits pe- it hits the worst off people even harder mm-hmm. and i think sort of i think that's that's a, a good place to leave it right a, a very tidy spot i mean not a good place but an appropriate place to <laughs> leave it um so i want to say uh gareth uh, as always it is such a massive delight having you on it's absolute pleasure yeah Oh, thanks. I, it's always it's always fun to join. I uh, yeah, I, I I have to say I binged a lot of uh, trash future episodes after the after the last um and uh, yeah, it's it's dangerous. I'd say don't don't listen to like three trash future episodes a day. It's actually harmful to your health. <laughs> Absolutely, right. do do that. It's uh, recommended yeah. that you do do that and subscribe to Patreon. <laughs> Legally, you have to do that. <laughs> can we just can we can we make that seem edited in really poorly? By the way, <laughs> yeah, Gareth, can you talk in a much in a lower bit rate? <laughs> um, just cut no. that into like the middle of a sentence. Uh, yeah. No, uh, so I want to say, Gareth, thank you so much for coming on, and encourage everybody to check out Rail Natter, which a link, of course, will be there for that in the description. Um, mm. And to thank you all for listening. And to remind you that there is going to be a paid episode coming out in several days. There's also uh, going to be a live show. Oh, 2nd right, of is. March. 
On the uh, 2nd of March. I, I more love details Bill, anon. This, this isn't the first I've heard of it, but definitely the first I've heard of it was when it was like announced on the Patreon. <laughs> 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 like, oh, we oh, love God. to run. The thing, the thing is, right, we, we run a very shambolic podcast, but also, somehow, uh, we are right about everything we ever talk about. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, uh, so thank you to Gareth. Check out Rail Natter. Thank you for listening. Patreon's five bucks a month. You know what it is. And we'll see you in a few days. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.